remain standing as we look to God's Word together. Our sermon text this morning is from Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 40 through 1119. If you want to follow along in the Pew Bible, it's between pages 815 and 816. You can follow on the screen, you can follow along in the Bible you, you brought, or you can just sit silently and listen to God's Word. Whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he's a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he's a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. Whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. When Jesus had finished instructing his disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who's to come? Or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Let's pray that the Lord would give us understanding this morning. Father in heaven, as, as we've opened up your word and we've heard from our Savior, Lord, would you give us greater clarity of who Jesus Christ is? Lord, if all salvation is to be found in Jesus Christ, we want to know Jesus Christ. 
so we ask that as we look to your word, the only source of information that we have about Jesus Christ, show us. Show us. And show us where we need him. Bless us in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'm going to do something this morning that we haven't done before. I'm going to save verses 40 through 42. That was that, those couple of verses about receiving Christ. We're going to save that because they're so closely connected to what we're going to see when we get to Matthew chapter 25. We're just going to wait until then to exposit, to expound on those verses, okay? So just as a preview, in case you were studying it this week and you're thinking, well, what what does it mean? As a preview, the idea is this. Those sent on mission for Jesus are to be identified with Jesus himself. Jesus was sent by the Father, and in the same way, in the same name, Jesus sends his disciples. We see that all throughout the book of John, and we see it clearly there, the end of, of Matthew chapter 10. So then to receive the message of the disciples is to receive Jesus. To, to welcome the disciples is to welcome Jesus. And then, and then Matthew 25, we're going to see that kind of flipped on its head. To, to reject one of Jesus' messengers is to reject Jesus. And to reject Jesus is to reject salvation. So, so if, you, if you just want to hold on to those, shift them over to chapter 25, I promise you, I have witnesses here that we will we'll get to that. They're very important. We're not skipping Bible, but I don't want to preach the same sermon twice. And so we're going we're to hold up till chapter 25. For this morning, though, we are going to focus on the first part of chapter 11. And here's what we're going to see in chapter 11 this morning. We're going to see a doubt. We're going to see a defense. And we're going to see a declaration. This talks about a guy who says he's a Baptist, so we're going to use three-point sermon with some alliteration a doubt a defense and declaration who says i'm not a baptist right so let's first look at how matthew sets this up look at verse one with me matthew chapter 11 verse one if you want to follow along on the screen please do keep your bibles open highlight things in your bible jesus has preserved this word for you to gain understanding about who he is cherish what he's given you in the word look at verse one with me When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. By their cities, I think he means the cities of Israel. And and what we see here is sort of a transition from where we were in chapter 10 to where we're going in chapter 11. Jesus has finished teaching his disciples. He's sending them out. And then Jesus goes on not to take a break and just let the disciples do the work. He, he continues his ministry. He continues teaching and preaching others. And if you're wondering what that distinction means, what's the difference between teaching and preaching? That just simply means this. To preach is to proclaim. And all throughout the New Testament, that proclamation is the gospel message that demands a response. So to preach is to proclaim the gospel with a demand for a response. And that's what Jesus does. But he's also teaching. What is his teaching? Well, that's the content of the gospel. The teaching is, he's preaching about the coming kingdom. The teaching says, this is what the kingdom's like. This is what citizens in that kingdom are to be like. And that's all Jesus is doing. He was teaching and preaching these things in chapter 4, if you'll remember that, if you've been with us since chapter 4. He was teaching and preaching these things in chapter 9. 
And here he is again doing the same thing, preaching the arrival of the kingdom and teaching about the kingdom of heaven. Friends, this was Jesus' priority when he was on earth. It was his priority. This is what he did. And as his followers, that's our priority. All right, so that's what we're about as a church. We're about to have a, a members meeting where we look at the priorities of our church, teaching and preaching. These are, these are the priorities. This is what Jesus Christ has commissioned us to do. And so that's what we do. We're following in the footsteps of the apostles who went before us in our teaching and in our preaching. And we are to be, as Christians, we're to be answering for the world around us the most important questions in the universe. And it all begins with this question that we're looking at today. Who is Jesus? We've seen Matthew together as we've been looking to Matthew and in, in reading his, in, in gaining understanding from his gospel. We've seen that Matthew has been answering that question for us. Who's Jesus? And over and over again, he's been showing us, well, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Do you remember that? Through, through the way Matthew is recording and in compiling Jesus' teachings for us and his preaching for us, and the way that Matthew has been selectively choosing which of Jesus' miracles to write down for us, he's been showing us Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the promised king, the one who was to come. And so, so now, as we get to chapter 11, Matthew He's built his case for us. He's presented the evidence. And then he's going to tell us that truth. Jesus is the Christ. He's going to tell us that explicitly. Look at verse 2 with me. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ. Don't miss, don't miss that there how, how Matthew is describing Jesus' work. Look again. He calls Jesus' work the deeds of the Christ. Now, now, Matthew, if you remember, if you've been with us in Matthew, if you've read Matthew before, he's already told us that Jesus is the Christ, but he said that way back in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. He said that this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. He, he, was, he was giving us Jesus' title when he opens up the book for us. And then if, if you keep reading in Matthew chapter 1, this is how he tells us about the birth of Christ. He said the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. But then for the next 10 chapters, you don't see the word Christ. You don't see the word Messiah anywhere. Not once does he use those words. Instead, here's what Matthew's been doing. He's been building the case for us. He's been collecting the evidence and presenting it before you and I, the reader. And he showed us how Jesus is the fulfillment of all these prophecies about who the Christ would be. He showed us that Jesus was teaching with authority. He was healing and so forth. And so now here we are in, in verse, two, verse 2 of chapter 11. And Matthew's simply saying, Reader, you should understand by now that it, Jesus is the Christ. Based on everything that I've shown you, Jesus is the Christ. And so he plainly says that for us. And then, and there's some irony here, though. Ironically, John the Baptist, 
the first person in the entire world, the first human ever to recognize Jesus as the Christ, now this guy, John the Baptist, is beginning to have doubts. This is the doubt section of your notes, if you're taking notes. John the Baptist is beginning to have doubts about that conclusion that he came to when he was out in the desert. Look at verse 3. Look at what he has sent his disciples. Remember, John's got people that are following him as well. He sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the one who's to come? Which is to say, Are you the Christ? Or shall we look for another? He's asking him, Are you, are you the Messiah? He's having doubts. John was once so confident. He was so confident, wasn't he? He he, he was an influencer. He was a leader. He was a prophet. And he was such a prophet that he was willing to say hard things. Remember what he said to the scribes and Pharisees? Brood of vipers. Remember what he told the soldiers? He's telling the soldiers, the people who have the power to to lock him up. He's telling these guys, be, be content with the wages that you have. Don't, don't rob people. He was willing to say anything to anybody. John saw the Spirit descend from heaven and remain on Jesus. John heard the voice of God say, this is my son. John was there. He saw it all, but now John's not so sure anymore, is he? What do you think led to his doubts? Why, why does he have doubts? Look again at verse 2. Where is John? When John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ. John's in prison. His circumstances have changed. He doesn't have people flocking to him to hear his message anymore. He's in prison. We'll learn later in Matthew 14 that John is in prison because he rebuked Herod, the governor, because Herod had taken his own brother's wife to be his own. And John says, that, that ain't right. It's Baptist. He has a southern accent. He, he, he's publicly denouncing Herod for Herod's adultery, for taking his brother's wife. You can imagine that this powerful leader who's been appointed by Caesar himself, he's not going to tolerate this, this prophet's judgment on him. So Herod has John arrested so he can shut him up. Right? Don't let this guy... Go around telling people that I'm an adulterer. Shut him up. Put him in prison. What Herod really wants to do is kill John, but he can't because he's afraid that the people will revolt against him. So for now, John is sitting in prison. And so if you can imagine being John, you have all this time to sit and think, right? You're in prison. You've got nothing else to do. And John is having some serious doubts. See, when John announced the coming of the Messiah. That's what he was doing. He was the forerunner. He had in his own mind this this preconceived notion about who the Messiah would be. He thought he understood who the Christ would be, what he would do. John was positive that when the Messiah came, he would bring judgment with him. Think about that passage we read in, in Malachi. The messenger The one who prepares the way of the Lord, that's John the Baptist, and Jesus is going to show us that. But in Malachi, the Lord comes in after the prophet, and look what Malachi 3.2 says about his coming. Who can endure the day of his coming? It's 
judgment language. As we kept reading, as, as Terry read for us from Malachi, you heard judgment, judgment, judgment coming. A, f- a few weeks ago, when, when we were studying Matthew 9 together, and Jesus gave sight to the blind, and he gave a voice to the mute man, we saw that what he was doing was directly fulfilling Isaiah 35. But Isaiah 35, 4 says this, Behold, your God will come with vengeance. He'll come with vengeance, with, with a recompense. That word recompense, it means payback. With, with a payback of God, he will come and save you. So the Messiah is coming, and the signs of the Messiah coming would be all of these miracles. But he was supposed to bring judgment. Judgment was supposed to come with the Messiah. Vengeance was supposed to come. Justice was supposed to come. Look at how the prophet Zephaniah talks about the coming of the Lord. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day. A day of wrath. A day of distress and anguish and ruin and devastation and darkness and gloom. Clouds and thick darkness. That's what John's expecting. That's what he's expecting. And if a Messiah had come, then this judgment was coming, according to John's theology. John assumed, knowing that this judgment is coming, imagine the confidence that gives you as a prophet. He assumed that he could go around pronouncing the coming judgment on the governor and the religious leaders and the wishy-washy Jews and that he'd be safe, right? Because because the Messiah was coming in behind him and then justice was going to rain down on them. The the, the wrath of God was coming. So John, in his mind, is surfing that wave. He, He was expecting those things because that's how he understood the Bible. And here's Jesus... And he's only doing half of what the Messiah is supposed to be doing, according to John. He's doing half of what John was expecting. Jesus has brought the mercy half, the grace half, but he hasn't brought the justice half. So John, you can imagine, he's wondering, is this this really the guy? Jesus, are you really the one? Are you going to stop touching lepers and healing these bleeding women and raising up these sick children? When are you going to stop teaching and bring the hammer? Enough with the mercy. Enough, enough with the grace. I just want to see justice. Because if you haven't noticed, Jesus, I'm in prison. Just put yourself in John's place for a minute, okay? Imagine you're a soldier you're on the front lines of a battlefield. And you've been given this mission to go into enemy territory and antagonize the enemy and pester them and draw them out of all their hidey holes. You, in your mind, you think you're going in and then you're going to be airlifted out right before the bombers come in and destroy everything. So you're bold. You're confident. You are maybe even a little bit brazen. But the bombers don't come. The air support doesn't show up. You get arrested. You get taken to a POW camp. And your first thought is, okay, okay. Maybe I'm a little early. Maybe they're a little bit late. You wait a few months. Nothing happens. No longer are you thinking maybe they're a little late. Now you're thinking, 
did I miss something in that mission briefing? Because I did what I was supposed to do. Where's the bombers? Where's the judgment? That's how John's feeling. He's a little betrayed. He's a little, a little betrayed. He's a lot confused. Because it turns out the Messiah is not who John imagined him to be. One of my favorite preachers, Ligon Duncan, says this. He says, There is a God we want, and there is a God who is. And the two are not the same. There's a God we want, and there's a God who is, and they aren't the same God. That's what John's experiencing, isn't it? The Messiah that John imagined was coming. The one who would vindicate him, who would protect him from all harm. The one who would bring judgment and condemnation on the unjust, exactly how John wanted. It's not the Messiah that John got. And so now he's doubting. He's forgotten his experience of the Holy Spirit. He's forgotten the very voice of God who confirmed Jesus as the Christ. He's forgotten the word of God. John's circumstances have introduced into John's heart an overconfidence in his own thoughts and an underconfidence in the promises of God. What we call doubt. Doubt is what happens when we trust our own fearful thoughts more than we trust God's faithfulness. And doubt happens to anyone who so much as thinks. I've had doubts. Some of the most God-honoring, bold, gospel-proclaiming preachers in, in, in the history of Christianity, they've experienced doubt. So long as we're in the flesh, so long as, as we have to battle the sin of pride that wells up in us, we're going to have doubts. We're going to be more prone to trust our own thoughts than we are to trust God's faithfulness. So, so what do we do? What, what, what do we do when we feel like Jesus isn't taking care of things the way that we think he should? When he isn't acting like the Jesus we hoped he would? What do we do when life in Christ turns out to be not as easy as we thought it would be? What do we do? Well, we can trust ourselves more than God. And where does that lead us? That will respond, that, that will lead us to despair, that will lead us to doubt, and that will inevitably always lead to bitterness and anger. If, if you are in that place right now, bitterness and anger, it's because you're trusting in your own thoughts more than you're trusting in God's faithfulness. So we can do that, or we can respond with humility and faith and trust the Lord. You know where that leads? Hope. Always leads to hope and joy. And we do that by looking to the word of God. We can go back to this fountain of truth. Go back to the source, the proof of God's faithfulness. Look again to God's word. 
to see who Jesus really is. Look again to the promises of God. Realign your experiences with the reality. What you experience is not as real as the reality that the Bible reveals to you. And that's what Jesus does for John. This is exactly what he does for John. Look at verse 4 with me. Look at how Jesus responds to John's doubt. Jesus answered them, that's John's disciples, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the good news preached to them. You know what Jesus is doing? He's pointing John back to the word of God, and he's showing John how God's word is being fulfilled, how God has been faithful to his promises. The, the blind receive the sight. Remember that from chapter 9? Isaiah 35, 5. The eyes of the blind are opened. Remember that was something that was to be unique to the coming Christ. In the entire Bible, the only person who ever opened the eyes of the blind is Jesus. And he did that in fulfillment of this promise, Isaiah 35, 5. Jesus also tells John, the lame walk. Well, that's Isaiah 35, 6. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. It's God's word. It's God's promise. And Jesus Christ is saying it's being fulfilled. The lepers are cleansed. Isaiah 35, 8 says there will be no unclean on the road of the righteous. Jesus is fulfilling that promise too. The dead are raised. Isaiah 35, 10 says there will be everlasting joy and sorrow and sighing will be gone. The poor have good news preached to them. That's Isaiah 61.1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Do you see what Jesus is doing for John? See what he's saying? He's reminding him of who he is and he's doing that by pointing to the word of God. He's pointing to all the promises from Isaiah about this coming kingdom and the coming king and he's, and he's answering John's question too. He said, yeah, I am the one to come. Yes, I am. Yes, I am the Christ. I'm the Messiah. I'm the fulfillment of all these promises from the prophets before you. God's plan really is in motion. He's restoring John's confidence in the promises of God. Look again at verse 6, the way that Jesus wraps up this encouragement to John. He says, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. He makes a whole new beatitude just for John. This is, he's following that pattern from, from Matthew chapter 5, the beatitudes, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying, blessed or happy is the one who's not offended by me. He's saying to John, you want to keep yourself from despair and doubt? You want to be happy? Do you want to, do you want to experience the blessings of God right now? Do you want to have joy in this life? Then don't be offended of who I am. I'm the Messiah. You were right. But don't be offended that I'm not the Messiah that you hoped for. That's what Jesus does say to John. What doesn't Jesus say to John? I want you to notice what's missing in his response. He doesn't tell John, everything's going to be okay, John. He doesn't tell John that John's going to get out of prison. He doesn't tell John that John's going to be kept safe. All he tells John is this, I'm the Christ. 
and you can trust God. I am the Christ. And you know what, friends? That's enough. If you are doubting Jesus because of your circumstances, whatever your circumstances are, whether it's financial hardship or health issues, family issues, something going on in school, listen, the fact that Jesus is who he says he is, that's enough. Jesus is the Christ. He's your Savior. When everything else seems to be crashing down, that's the truth. As we sing, that's the sure and steady anchor you need to be attached to, to keep you from being tossed about. If it's cancer, Jesus is the Christ. If it's Alzheimer's, Jesus is the Christ. If you're doubting the future, Jesus is the Christ. If you're worried about your kids or your grandkids, Jesus is the Christ. And that's all you need. The Christ has come. And he's brought you reconciliation with God. And no matter what prison you feel like you're in, no matter what your circumstances are, Jesus is the Christ, and that's all the comfort you need. That's all that Jesus tells John's disciples. And so that's the message they take back to John. And we won't hear from John again. The next time we see John... His head will be in one place and his body will be in another. He will endure the injustice that led to the very doubts he's having right now. He will endure the violent of this age without seeing Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. His life will simply have been lived as a, as a forerunner of what is to come. He won't be able to grasp a hold of the promises that he was promised. And yet, and yet I have to believe that Jesus' answer was enough for John because it helped John to remain steadfast all the way to the end. All the way. Well, as John's disciples walk away, Jesus turns to the crowds. And what he's going to do is defend John the Baptist. He's just corrected his doubts. He's just encouraged John the Baptist. Now he's going to defend them. The second part of your notes, if you're taking notes. If anyone is thinking, if anybody's in the crowd there who just saw Jesus say these things to John's disciples, Jesus wants to reassure them. He's going to defend John. If they're, if they're thinking, oh, John just got shown up by Jesus, Jesus is going to dispel that. If anyone is thinking that John's ministry has now been brought into question because he's in prison, Jesus is going to dispel that myth. You've seen the doubt. Here comes the defense. Look at at what Jesus says to the watching crowds in verse 7. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? Remember, John was out in the wilderness. Is he a reed shaken by the wind? Is, Is he a spineless coward? No. It's a rhetorical question. What did you go to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? No. What was John wearing? He was wearing harsh clothing. Prophet's clothes. What did you see? He said, a prophet. And more than a prophet. This is he of whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare the way for you. Jesus is affirming for the crowds who all went out to see John the Baptist. He's saying, yes, John the Baptist is a prophet. But he's more than a prophet. He's the greatest prophet ever. In verse 10, 
When Jesus quotes Malachi 3, the verse that we read, Jesus is saying, John is the one sent by God as the messenger who prepares the way for the Messiah. He's saying, he's the one. Malachi 4 kind of wraps that up. It books it, bookends that. Malachi 4, 5 says this. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. So Jesus says, yeah, he's that guy. He, he's Elijah. He's the one who prepares the way. He's the one who comes before the Lord comes. And I'm the Lord. I'm the Lord. I'm the Messiah who was promised. Jesus is affirming what the people believed about John. And taking it a step further. And now, because he's taking it a step further, he's testifying about himself, isn't he? It's not just John is a prophet. It's John is a prophet who said, I'm the Messiah, and I am the Messiah. Jesus knew that everyone knew that John was some sort of prophet. He dressed like a prophet. He, he ate weird stuff like a prophet. He spoke boldly and courageously like a prophet. And in every way, he was just like a prophet. He lived like a prophet. So Jesus is saying, yeah, he was a prophet. Nobody can deny that. What they didn't know, what the crowd may not have known, was that John was the last. He was the last of that old age of prophets. The last prophet of the old covenant. He prepared the way for the coming kingdom. And he gets to be the first to see the king face to face. John is the first one to point anybody to Jesus Christ. And that's why in verse 11, Jesus says, John is the greatest. John is the greatest of anyone who's ever been born up to him. Look at verse 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, that just means any human ever. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. No one. Think about what that means. John the Baptist is greater than Abraham. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than David. He's greater than Elijah. Not because he's somehow more righteous than them. Not because he's somehow more powerful than them. Not because more Bible verses are spilt talking about him. There's way more in the Bible about those other guys than John. They have more of a legacy than John. So how is John greater than them? Simply this, John saw Jesus and he pointed him out to everyone else. His greatness was in his testimony that Jesus is the Christ. And while that's true, here comes the declaration. While that's true of John, Jesus says, if you are a brand new Christian, if you are weak and you're struggling as a Christian, if you are barely able to keep the faith and yet you've been redeemed by Jesus Christ, you belong to the kingdom of heaven today and you are greater than John. Look at the rest of verse 11. This is what I want you to take home with you today. Okay, friends? Jesus says there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet... The one who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. That's the declaration. The, the one who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. The one who is greater than everybody else. Christian, listen, you may not be as wise as Solomon, and I know you're not. You, you may not be as bold as Samuel was. You may not be as great a warrior as David was. You may not 
dare to be a Daniel. You may not be as faith-filled as Abraham. You may not be able to raise the dead the way that Elijah and Elisha did. But you're greater than John. And John was greater than all of them. Do you know why that is? I hope you're wondering that. I hope you're not like, of course I'm greater than John. I hope you're really wondering why this is true. And here it is. It's because you know Christ more than they did. You know Christ more than they did. But the true measure of greatness, it's not power, it's not might, it's not fame, it's not wealth, it's not intellect, it's not ability, it's not beauty, it's not success. Those are all worldly Worldly measures of greatness. The true measure of greatness is how closely you bear the image of the true and living Christ. And because you know the true and living Christ more fully than any person up to John and including John, you're greater than John. Your life is more transformed by Jesus Christ than John's was. Your understanding of God is fuller. You're you're more complete in Christ than John was, or Moses was, or David was. Do you understand just how radical that is? God spoke to Abraham like a friend. Abraham talked to God and God talked back. Jacob wrestled with God. And and from Jacob come these, these 12 tribes through whom the promises go. Moses. Do you remember Moses? He went up on a mountaintop to meet with God and, and God spoke to Moses directly. And Moses was so fully in God's presence that his face shined for days when he came back down. And his face, this shining face was so bright that he had to wear a veil to protect the people. You remember Isaiah? Isaiah was so fully in the presence of God, he experienced God so fully that he was afraid he was going to die. And John heard the voice of God and saw the Holy Spirit descend on the Christ. And Jesus saying, Jesus is telling you and me, you, Christian, are greater than any of these men. Because you understand, you have experienced the blessings of God more fully than any of them. You have experienced more of the kingdom. You've experienced more of what it's like to have Jesus Christ rule in your life than they did. You've seen the fulfillment of the promises that they only imagined. 1 Peter 1 says this. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, that's all of them, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, they searched and they inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them, those prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you. 
through those who preach the good news to you. By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Why don't you just let that sink in for a minute? All of redemptive history, that's just all of history. The entire Old Testament, all of the prophets, all the way up to John the Baptist, they were all sent to serve you. To point you to Jesus Christ so that you could behold the glory of God in Christ. We get all of the benefits that they prophesied about. You get to know the nature and the character and the mercy and the grace of God and the love of God better than any of them. Christian, do you understand the privilege that you've been given? Do you understand? You're thinking right now of lunch. Do you understand the privilege you've been given in Jesus Christ? Do you understand the blessing of what it means to be chosen by God to receive this? You've been given something in Jesus Christ that the angels don't even have. And they're in heaven with him. You and I know this. If we're in Christ, we know that the Christ, the very Son of God, died for our sins. It's not true for the angels. We've experienced that in a way that the prophets only imagined. No one before John, and including John, knew that it would happen the way that it happened. You know that the Christ was resurrected. They didn't know that would happen. The disciples didn't even believe that would happen. And Jesus told them that it would happen over and over and over again. And they didn't believe it would happen until the day that it happened. You know that the Holy Spirit has been given to you. And he dwells in you. Permanently. Permanently. That the prophets, including John, did not get the indwelling of the Spirit that you get. You know that by being born again into Christ, you are being made, you are being transformed into Christ's likeness. You don't just know it. It's happening. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all with unveiled face, not like Moses, who had a veiled face, we with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Prophets didn't get that. Not even Moses had the privileges that you do. You have a hope in eternity because of Christ's finished work for you. You have reconciliation with a God because of Jesus Christ's finished work for you. There's so much of who Christ is that's been revealed to us in the scriptures. No prophet ever dreamed of it. And he's yours, Christian. He's yours. Don't discount what you have. Don't underestimate it. Don't wish for something else. Don't wish if only I were one of the prophets. That's a lie. You have Jesus Christ. You have the full testimony. You have the whole story. You have the entire Bible. 
So don't neglect it. Don't envy the Jews and their rituals and their feasts and their ceremonies. Those are all just shadows. The sun from above is yours and he cast the shadows all over history. Friends, don't be bored by this. Please. Some of you actually have the nerve to look annoyed right now. This is yours. Don't be like the generation of Jesus' day. Don't be like that generation. Look what Jesus says about them in verses 18 and 19. John came neither eating or drinking, and they said, he is a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. They couldn't be satisfied with what God was giving them. They weren't satisfied with John because he was too strict. They weren't satisfied with Jesus because Jesus didn't measure up to how they thought of righteousness. Even living, this is, this is where these folks were at. They were living in the last day of the fulfillment of all that prophecy from the Old Testament. They were at the intersection of that last age and the last age. They were in the presence of the one who had the spirit of Elijah pointing them to the Christ. They were in the presence of the Christ. They saw his miracles. They saw his compassion. They saw his love and his mercy. They saw him eating and drinking and forgiving sinners. They're going to see him resurrected. And it's not going to be enough. Don't be like that generation. The God they wanted was not the God that was in front of them, loving them and teaching them. You have more than they did. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the life-altering testimony of a crucified and risen Lord. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do? Are you going to go about life underwhelmed with Jesus and looking for the next mountaintop experience because Jesus isn't enough? Ordinary Jesus isn't enough? Are you going to be looking for pleasure in lesser things than what you've been given in Christ? Are you going to look for for pleasure in pornography or entertainment and movies or whatever TV show you're streaming? Are you looking for pleasure in the next drink or in the next pill? Maybe satisfaction can be found in a different marriage than the one that I've got. Maybe it's in a new job or a bigger house or a newer car. Are you going to spend your entire life looking for something that isn't Jesus Christ to please you and give you meaning? You're going to be dissatisfied with what Christ has given you? If you won't be satisfied with Jesus as he is, you will not ever be satisfied. You will be disappointed with life. Or you can let your life 
You can let your life be transformed by Jesus Christ. You can seize a hold of him as the greatest treasure you've ever known and you can let your life reflect the glory of Christ in you and realize the greatness and the joy of what it means to belong to the kingdom. There's greatness there that you're missing out on if you're settling for anything else. Friends, this is what we've been given in Jesus Christ and I want you to know it. I want you to trust it and live in that truth because this is the truth. Amen? Let's pray. We're going to celebrate Christ's life and death in a moment as we take a supper together. But we need to pray. Father in heaven, we, we thank you for Jesus Christ. Lord, I just ask that you would forgive me for the times that I settle for anything less than Christ. Forgive me for the times that I take Jesus Christ for granted. God, I ask that you would just transform us as a people. Would you, by the Spirit's power, let us realize the greatness that we have as the least in your kingdom? And so give us a confidence that's greater than John's and a joy that's greater than David's. God, for anybody in this room right now who has not responded to Christ as he is, oh Lord, would you, by your Spirit's power, give them that faith that they need? Would you wash away whatever doubts they have, whatever searching they're doing in, in lesser things? And would you turn them to Christ? Because I know, because you told me that only you can do that. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.